to share the good news uh, of Jesus Christ. And uh, I came to Christ a little over 40 years ago. And yes, I grew up about 10 miles from where George Verwer grew up. I was on the New York side of the border and he was on the New Jersey side of the border. That part of the world was undergospelized when I was growing up uh, in my high school. 10 out of 1,000 students were born again, and I was not one of them. Welcome to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. My friend Steve Copeland is no stranger to the program. Steve is with Mission Field USA. Steve, it's always a delight to have you stop by. Matter of fact, let me clarify, missionfieldusa.com. Put the, the whole name in there. But you're spearheading this ministry, gospel excursions, and we're going to talk about some of those. But first, welcome to the show. Good to have you back. Great to be here as always, Byron. You and I have been acquainted now for a number of years, and something I've always appreciate, Steve, about you is your passion for Christ and your love for the Lord. And not that you live a perfect life, because none of us do, but you strive for Christ and you want to make Him known. And I really appreciate that about you. And that's just been a stamp on your life since I've known you. Appreciate your eagerness to share with our listeners, too, and encourage them as we all are witnesses for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, certainly appreciate your, your kind words. Uh, just ask my wife or children about whether I'm a sinner or not, and it, it truly is. <laughs> and of course, the key to being, uh, you know, a, a, uh, to walking with the Lord is to ask for forgiveness often, forgiveness of the Lord and forgiveness of those one has offended or sinned against. I think that's so true. We can get to a place of spiritual pride where after we've been a Christian for a long time, we kind of think, well, we've got this thing down, but we really don't. We're constantly dependent upon the grace, the mercy of Christ, as you said, forgiving others, asking for forgiveness, walking in a life that's full of the Holy Spirit under his leadership. You and I have a mutual friend, George Verwer. I first met George back in the early 1980s. I know your relationship even goes back further than that, I believe. But I had an opportunity to, to spend some time with Operation Mobilization. As you know, George Verwer was a student at Moody Bible Institute back in the 1950s, and during their Christmas break would take gospel tracts down to Mexico, share the gospel during that time, which was really the birth of what became Operation Mobilization. He and some other trusted men who were passionate about the gospel and Jesus came alongside him, and the ministry grew through literature distribution for Send the Light. There was also a couple of ships, the Dulos and Logos, that traveled around the world. My dear friend, David Rogers, son of the late Dr. Adrian Rogers, he was actually a personal assistant to George with OM and traveled on one of the ships. Matter of fact, that's how he got the vision for Spain. He had been traveling, I think, on the, the Dulos, and they ported in Spain, and he just got broke over mm -hmm. the need for the gospel in the church there in Spain. So he committed to come back to Spain and served over 18 years as a missionary in Spain with his wife and children. So it's neat to see how the life of one person responding to the gospel, yes. you see the results of that. Yeah, a remarkable individual who, uh, we're talking about George Verwer, who would also tell you he's a man of great struggles and trials. In fact, uh, one time... He told me, I, I struggle with my faith every day. And that's an encouragement, really, to most of us, because all of us struggle over things. And to find out that uh, those that are leaders in the body of Christ are really strugglers along the way, 
and it forces us to cling more closely to the Lord Jesus and submit more to the Holy Spirit. That's really the only way the Christian life can be lived. George grew up not too far from where you did. He was from Ramsey, New Jersey. OM actually had an office, I think, in Trenton. Is it Trenton, New Jersey? Yeah, Trenton is in New Jersey. There was an office at one time there. I actually had an opportunity to meet George's dad up at the office during that summer campaign. I spent some time working with the book warehouse down in Waynesboro, Georgia, and that's where books and gospel literature was received, and we would ship it to different missionaries and also to the ships, as I mentioned, the Dulos and the Logos ships. And I remember one time we were traveling Operation World, the book had just come out, you know, it's a great prayer book, just been released. We were traveling, doing these Operation World missions conferences, and I remember going up through New Jersey and stopping at the office there and meeting George's dad. Yeah, I'll just speak for myself. In the first few years of my Christian life, I had the privilege of being exposed to a number of great men of God, Major Ian Thomas, George Verwer, Lance Lambert, Johannes Foschus, who was Intercessors International and a number of other individuals, and uh, uh, obviously I knew a lot of people that knew George, people like Tom Frazier and Ed Cheek, some who he even served as his personal assistant as well. He spoke at First Evan here in Memphis, and I heard him, and afterwards he said, if you have any prayer requests, write them down, and I will pray for you. And he meant it, unlike most of us when we say those things, because I wrote it down, and he sent me a note, a personal note afterwards, and I realized this is someone who uh, is faithful in in everything you know he his words and his deeds align themselves up and and it was extraordinary years later he stayed in our home for a weekend and uh you know after that we stayed in touch regularly by text and email not not you know every day or every week but as the Lord would lead, here was a man who was doing this, and I saw it happen in our home. He was in touch with hundreds, yea, thousands of people personally around the globe and uh, for the sake of the Lord's kingdom. Oh, that's such a beautiful relationship and story, as you mentioned. And looking back into George's life, when the gospel first connected with his heart back in March of 1955, Billy Graham came to New York City, and that in 55, that was a—of course, he came other times, too, but that was with Jack Wurtson, coordinated the event at Madison Square Garden. George, at that time, was still in high school, and I remember him telling the story, too, and I think this is important for us to kind of share some of this story today, Steve, is just looking how God works in the hearts of people. But it wasn't just George hearing the gospel message through this evangelistic crusade with Billy Graham. Across the street from the school he attended— was a dear little lady and her son who loved Jesus. They prayed for the students to get saved over there, and they also handed out gospels of John's and literature of the gospel. Really, it started with a prayer connection, right? Yes. Yes, she prayed for, and, and obviously George was stirred in his heart and came to Christ during that evangelistic crusade, which was a one night event in Madison Square Garden. But not only that, she, she had been praying, the Lord had laid in her heart that the, the Lord would reach that high school and someone from that high school would be saved and impact the world for Christ. And uh, the, maybe the least likely candidate was George Verwer, just like uh, God often chooses the Gideons and others of the world. But uh, George was, uh, he'll readily say he was living a life that was uh, not the most wholesome life. And and even after he came to the Lord, there were struggles, but he knew this calling was on his life and he pioneered 
much of the new way of doing, uh, reaching the world for Christ in the latter part of the 20th century. Well, and that ministry grew as there was trips to Mexico, as we mentioned, the 1950s in Europe and the 1960s, Red Square in Moscow during the height of the Cold War, the overland excursions in India in the 1960s. Then that purchase, as we mentioned, the multiple ships, the vessels for the gospel in the 1970s, the Dulos and the Logos. And I think those have actually changed ships that have the same name, but they've actually had to be made more current and up to date. But it's just exciting to see how God has used that. And, And as you mentioned, someone who wasn't ashamed to say, I don't have it all right, but Jesus does. And I think sometimes we kind of put this mask on, Steve, when we become Christians. The sin nature, we still struggle with it. Paul talked about that struggle, right? Yeah, I mean, the scriptures or or the the old hymn, frail children of dust and feeble as frail, that's who we are. (laughs) We uh, can't, you know, I need you, Lord. I need you every hour, really every breath, every moment I need you. We will go to the worst place in a moment's time without the restraining and anointing power of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're saved by grace. And yes, we've been crucified with Christ, so now we have the ability to stand in the power of the finished work of Christ. The Spirit of God lives in us, but we have to be honest with ourselves. Uh, that perfect, that perfection <laughs> is yet to come. Yes, we can have experiences with the Lord of His perfect love and grace, and there are times when the presence and power and anointing of the Lord has been so tremendous, but the Lord sometimes also withdraws Himself so that you might see what's really your your desperate need for Him, uh, and uh, all of us have had our failings. If it's not just in attitude, it's also in action. But also we can come back. You know, we can be yes. uh, <laughs> the worst uh, <laughs> who's a prodigal can come back and come back to the Father and be received and have the ring on the hand, the cloak, and, and the full provision. We don't want to encourage that way, but we can say, hey, you know, if you're caught in pornography today, if you're in adultery today, if you've been stealing money from your employer today, repent and come back to the living and true God. Oh, that's so beautiful, Steve. And I was just reflecting back as a 19-year-old boy when I was with Operation Mobilization during that six-month period in my life season that I spent with them. Three months, as I mentioned, down in Waynesboro, Georgia. Do you know how hot it gets in Waynesboro, Georgia, (laughs) even in the springtime? I mean, it is, you think humidity here in Memphis is hot? South Georgia in the summertime, <laughs> that Georgia clay and how it heats up. I mean, it is like a humidifier and you just melt. And there was this old dusty warehouse <laughs> that we had to store these skids in with Bibles and books that were being shipped out. And here's this energetic, young, excited 19-year-old about the Lord, but still, as you mentioned, had some character quality <laughs> issues that needed to be adjusted. And that was a perfect place to do that. In that home, uh, under the direction of Harley and Debbie Rollins, who were leading that team of us down, there was a young girl, Mary, from England. There was a, a guy named Bernie. There was another guy named Bill. We shared together meals, and we worked together. Harley's dad had uh, the warehouse. Was, some of it was on his property where we stored these books and gospel materials. He grew potatoes. And so we ate a lot of potatoes while we were there, you know. But it was all part of the character-building process. Then when we went to Europe, I never will forget, we went to Belgium in a place called Leuven. Outside of Brussels, there was a converted monastery where we gathered. There was college students from all over the world that came Mm. together to to hear gospel presentations, to get your teams organized, and to be sent out during the summer. Excursions, kind of like what you're doing now, to share the gospel. 
There was people that had assignments to be on the food preparation. There was people who needed to clean where we were, you know, make sure the floors were clean, the windows were clean. All these things, you know, how is this related to gospel ministry? It's a part of the character development of who we are, how we respond to these things in service to Christ, how we respond to somebody cutting us off down on Poplar in 240, you know. That's where we look at how yeah. Christ is developing us. Are we perfect? No, we're not. We still blow it and we get angry and we sin. But there's that sanctifying work of the Holy yeah. Spirit. He draws us into that fellowship. And I'm so thankful for his mercy and grace. I know you are too, Steve. Yeah, I mean, the Lord's ways are not our ways. And particularly, we're being trained to be servants to love one another, to lay down our lives for one another, to take the lowest place, to take the least significant place, to be overlooked, and to just do what's before us. And uh, I think the experience of virtually anyone I've ever talked to was with OM, with Operation Mobilization, was that. It was hard. It was difficult. You know, the old saying about the Peace Corps, the toughest job you ever loved, well, being on OM was in a sense, essence really like a, a Peace Corps gospel uh, summer or whatever or season in your life. And a lot of things you had to do were the things that didn't really seem to be the big front and center glorious things, yes. but trained you in a way that it built some character into your lives. Something else that always stood out to me about the leadership of Operation Mobilization, all the leaders on a yearly basis or maybe every couple of years or so, you know, was God continuing to call them into this work. Yes. We served as missionaries with Transworld Radio back in the mid-1990s. And I met some veteran missionaries. I felt like some had become very possessive of their territory. It was almost to the point this was really more their territory than it was God's. We have to make sure that we don't let pride get in the way. Yeah, I mean, the history of the church, the real church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all and in all. Throughout church history, the Lord moves and then he moves on, and yet men often make monuments out of it. There can be a living expression within that monument, but it's really usually not the front and center of what God is doing. And OM is a classic case. I mean, or, or if we went back in multiple different generations, if we saw what God did with the Moravians, or what God did with the Wesleys, or what God did with George Verwer, but there comes a time when actually it's time to just maybe say it's over and move on. Yes. Well, you recently received a special letter from George. He sent out to his ministry partners and those who support the work. He says that this wasn't his normal newsletter, but a special letter about his health. You know, he'd been struggling with some health issues and really talked about this experience while he was in the hospital that he had with God. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, the Lord <laughs> the Lord is so good. You know, he, the Lord laid a burden on George Verwer, and, and many of God's servants have a burden laid upon them for whatever it is that, that it's a burden from God's heart. It's not man's idea or man's ways. And that burden for the nations that was laid on George's heart, when the Lord came to him in the hospital, he apparently seemed to release him of that. You've For, for 60 years or so, or 65 years, you've carried this burden faithfully, and now I'm going to relieve you of it. And uh, and uh, George's health is in question with sarcoma in the stomach and elsewhere. And uh, his wife, Drina, also has some health issues. And uh, But this is an exciting thing. You know, he's he's been faithful to carry this burden for so long. I think it's interesting as you look at the end of your life 
how much time, and we don't know, we're all living in the end of our life. Today yeah. could yeah. be the end of our life. But when we're face to face with Jesus to hear that he is pleased, well done, good and faithful servant. And I know that George has been laboring towards that goal as he's had a, a very big book ministry and encourages others to read. He reads a lot. One of his burdens was for India, Bibles in India. There's a project yes. for the Bibles in India project, and it's not complete. There's been a goal to purchase over 80,000 Bibles in Indian language. They've been able to purchase 80,000. The goal is 100,000. So there's about 20,000 Bibles needed to reach the language groups in India. So I just want to challenge our Bot Radio Network listeners right now. You can go to om.org, operationmobilization.org. Yeah, or George has his own website, georgeverber, I think, dot com. You can go there, and he has his special projects list listed. Yeah, and there'll be multiple projects there, but this is one on his heart that is big, and I know he's concerned about. Really, the reason why we want to share today, and we started off talking about George, Steve, is that God uses people. He uses us. And that's why we're here today. I mean, he uses silly me. He uses you, and he's used you in so many ways. We want to talk about our availability in the hands of God to do kingdom work and present the greatest message that mankind has ever heard. It's the gospel. Absolutely. Yeah, they were called to share the good news uh, of Jesus Christ. And uh, I came to Christ a little over 40 years ago, and yes, I grew up about 10 miles from where George Verwer grew up. I was on the New York side of the border, and he was on the New Jersey side of the border. That part of the world was under-gospelized when I was growing up. Uh, in my high school, 10 out of 1,000 students were born again, and I was not one of them. So when I came to the Lord at age 23, it was obvious to me that, uh, that, uh, that sharing the gospel should just be a normal part of one's Christian life, whether they're an evangelist or not. And many other things became obvious, but also it was obvious that I was uh, still struggling with many issues in my life. The Lord immediately delivered me from a number of issues of sin and darkness, but there were other struggles that took some time and some struggles that still lasted to, to the present moment. But it doesn't devalue because we're not preaching ourselves, but Jesus who's Lord. We're preaching the message of the cross, the good news of the gospel, which is the power of God to salvation, which has nothing to do with whether I'm qualified or not. I've been qualified by the blood of the lamb. I've been made, made partakers of the inheritance of the saints and the light by the grace of God, but I'm still unworthy of it. It's all grace. So that's why the message actually should resonate more because none of us deserves it, yet God wants all of us to experience it. And that experience that you're so passionate about has always, not saying always, because I think there was a period of time you, you felt like that you weren't as intentional as you would like to have been. As you mentioned, you were, became a Christian back in 1982. There was that immediate desire to share the gospel. You got involved in prison ministry. You went out on the streets to share the gospel. You shared with your neighbors. You worked with the Billy Graham Crusades. There was numerous forms of outreach that you were engaged in. As you uh, get busy in life, and we all get busy in life. Sometimes our attention, our focus can get off of what's important, what God has called us to. Yeah, and obviously we could spend a lot of time talking about this. I knew I wasn't going to be a professional Christian, one who is paid to be a Christian, uh, that the, the way to go on with the Lord was to uh, carry the normal responsibilities of a, 
because uh, uh, I got married. We had five children to take care of your family, take care of the responsibilities. Really, with two full-time jobs, one is the job to take that pays for my family's needs, and the other is full-time, always, 24-7 for Jesus Christ. And uh, that, uh, as according to my understanding, was the, the biblical way forward, and uh, but in that context, the demands can be enormous. Uh, and, uh, you know, you do sometimes drift from that. I had significant responsibilities as CEO of a large cancer center. At one point, I was running eight companies simultaneously and also had national responsibilities in areas. And yet I had told the Lord from the time I was young in the Lord, I said, if you ever give me any place of significance, I will always speak of you. And I would do that in meetings wherever I went and sometimes People told me to tone it down, but not going to tone it down. Uh, he saved me, <laughs> and he's real, and he's the only hope of salvation. And uh, you know, there's not going to be silence on this end. Uh, but I, I can say, you know, the struggles of raising a family and having many things go on, and responsibilities, aging parents, and all that can can distract you, and in some cases should distract you from going and sharing the gospel. But now that I'm my children are grown and they're having their own children. It's time to give my full time to those matters that I believe are front and center on the Lord's heart, and one of them is the gospel. Well, in 1996, there was a Christian conference that you attended that really kind of started changing the trajectory of your life after some books that you read. Yeah, I went to a summer conference that I've gone to a number of times in my family. We all went there. And then afterwards, we were in Cape May, New Jersey, meeting my parents and my sister from London and her family, and my brother was there. And uh, I picked up a book by my friend Lance Lambert, who's also going on to be with the Lord. And Lance and, and actually George knew each other. Lance was raised in Britain. He's a Jewish believer, uh, one of the most profound Bible teachers uh, in all of history. And uh, he had uh, a book that had been transcribed from messages he had given in Toronto called the Last Days and God's Priorities. I was deeply arrested by that book. I sat and read it, I don't know how many times, while at the beach uh, that's that, that week we were there. But not so much because it was new to me, but because I knew it was true and I needed to give myself wholly to what was in that book uh, concerning what the Lord's priorities are with evangelism, with the building of his church, the real church, the living organism called the body of Christ, uh, the bride of the wife of the lamb, the uh, regathering of the nation Israel and all that God's doing there. These priorities uh, on God's heart, I said, Lord, I, I, I give myself afresh to you. And uh, really, there's hardly a moment that's existed since then where those priorities, even when I've been running multi-hundred million dollar businesses or taking care of children, this is the passion of my heart because it's the eternal kingdom of God. Amen. Well, you're about to embark on, as I mentioned, these excursions. You've yes. already gone through missionfieldusa.com, and I encourage our friends to go to that website, missionfieldusa.com, and learn more. But you're about to leave town and go share the gospel, and there's multiple opportunities for our listeners to pray for, first of all, and also to engage, to participate in joining you in these. Yeah, and just to digress one moment, if you're listening today, pray for India. The Holy Spirit is really on the cusp of doing some tremendous things, as we talked about India earlier. There's a group of us, we're going to go, we're going to begin in Chicago, we'll be, go to Columbus, Ohio, 
Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Erie, Pennsylvania, Buffalo and Niagara Falls, Syracuse, New York, Scranton, Pennsylvania, Allentown, Pennsylvania, New York City, and Pearl River, New York, at evangelism opportunities at St. Patrick's Day-related parades. And we have these St. Patrick's Day tracks that have been published by two national organizations. They're slightly different, but they basically tell uh, people who most people don't even know who Patrick was, how he was a minister of the gospel and how he was, uh, you know, enslaved and how he went back to the people who enslaved him to preach the good news of freedom in Christ. There's also a group, Jeff Patrick and Zeke Destins are go and, and a group of about eight or 10 are going to New Orleans with those tracks. And then there'll be a group in Memphis of about 10 or 15 people doing it in Memphis. So this is, you know, the, the hour is now, the hour is late, the time is now, and we take every opportunity where people are focused on one thing, and we meet them where they are and share the good news, and it's amazing the kind of responses we get. Well, we're excited to follow you. That's why I want to have a regular time on Mid-South Viewpoint with you as you go out, as you come back, and keep our listeners updated so that they can know how to plug in, they can pray again, how yeah. they can join you. There is opportunity. There, there's multiple trips. If you're not able to go in the next couple of months, there's still other plans throughout the year on gospel excursions. So would the website be the best contact? Yeah, the website. In fact, uh, I just got an email the other day from the website host to make sure we have all the updated locations. In April, we're going to the Pacific Northwest to Oregon and Washington State, which are largely postmodern places. We'll then go to the Indianapolis 500 in May. We're going to do something perhaps down at Ole Miss uh, during their double-decker bus uh, fair that they have. We'll also do the outreaches here in Memphis at the Italian Fest. And then we'll go back to Pennsylvania, Greater Allentown. And we'll see then what happens the rest of the summer. I'm supposed to be in Romania for parts of the summer, which is really not directly related, but they've actually asked me to help facilitate evangelism in some of the communities there, including some very particularly dark communities that are under demonic oppression. And uh, and we're hoping later in the year to maybe do uh, Great Britain, which is, of course, not USA, and then maybe Connecticut. We'll see how that all unfolds. This is wonderful, Steve. Thank you so much for the update again, friend. Go to missionfieldusa.com, missionfieldusa.com to learn more. Please pray for these men who are going out in the name of Jesus as we send them out from the Church of Memphis. There was the Church of Corinth. There was the Church of Ephesus. This is the Church of Jesus Christ in Memphis, Tennessee. Amen. Men from different local fellowships coming together to go out in his name and the power of his spirit to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're going to have to say goodbye, Steve. Thanks for coming by. <laughs> it's good to be here. Friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for joining us. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.